This is an ABC podcast. If vaping is here to stay, how should it be regulated? To make those kind of decisions, you need good data. We're going to look at the health effects of vaping soon. But first, a team of public health researchers at Curtin University has just published a new study into how vapes are marketed online. Professor Johnine Jancy joins me now. Professor Jancy, welcome. Hi, um, Hilary. Hi. Now, you examined a number of websites in Australia and New Zealand that sell e-cigarettes. Did you have to be over 18 to gain access to them? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, we're operating in a really regulated environment where it's um, uh, you should not be able to sell e-cigarettes, whether they contain nicotine or no nicotine, to young people aged 18 um, years and less. Yet what we had a look at some websites, about 20 Australian New Zealand websites online, and um, found some disturbing opportunities around the ease of accessing these products with um, anyone simply needing to uh, press a button, say they're 18 years old, enter the site and um, make a purchase. And what kinds of products were, were on offer? Oh, there was all types of products, you know, the world with world's your oyster. There were disposable, there were pod-based, there were even starter kits for novice. So when you wanted to kick off your um, um a vaping habit, um, then you could buy a nice little bundled up uh, package. There was e-liquid and, of course, those very attractive flavours that appeal to young people and indicate that they're harmless, you know, like chocolate crush. We found over a 1,000 flavours. Marketing strategies, price discounts, free delivery, uh, loyalty programs, and you could make payment via a number of options, whether that be a bank transfer or PayPal and have your product delivered. Johnine, was it possible to tell which products had nicotine and which didn't with any certainty? Um, they, there were products that indicated they contained nicotine and um, it happened that the more products that were available were on New Zealand websites, but Australian websites still contain nicotine. But the issue with that is there's been quite a bit of research from federal government and from the telecom uh, Kids Institute in Western Australia that indicates or shows that even though these products say they don't contain nicotine, when they're actually analysed, they do. So then you have um, people being exposed to nicotine and the um, addictive uh, properties of, of nicotine um, without even knowing that they are. We're speaking with Professor Johnine Jancy, who's part of a team of public health researchers at Curtin University. They've just been looking into the kinds of claims that are made in the online marketing of vapes, what they say they can do and, and what kinds of products are available. How would consumers be finding these websites, Professor Jancy? Is there a, a kind of particular online pathway they're following? You know, it's, it's very easy to find them. You simply go onto Google and um, put in vapes and you'll come up with a, a range of um, uh, retail sites. But probably the other concerning thing is that around young people who spend considerable amount of time on social media, we've done some research into Instagram and TikTok. And once again, these um, posts on Instagram and TikTok lead to retail sites. So it's another opportunity for these uh, retailers to reach young people and new markets. Let's have a look at some of the specific claims. How do you, I mean, we'll look at their veracity soon uh, in the program, but with you, Johnine, what kind of uh, comparisons do vape marketers make with their products and tobacco? 
Um, yeah, it's it's the perfect kind of way to compare, isn't it? But I think I really like to say that we need to align these products because basically they are all nicotine delivery devices and they're products that you breathe into your lungs, into lungs that were essentially made to breathe in air. But I'll move on to the marketing claims now. Um so, for example, with vapes, you're puffing on zero carcinogens. Well, we know there's hundreds of chemicals in vapes, many of which are toxic. Um, they're effective uh, um, aid for quitting smoking, uh, more effective than patches and gum. Yet a recent Australian National University review concluded that um, this was not really supported and the jury was out regarding these um, uh, vapes as being effective uh, uh, quitting strategies. Um, so once you take up vaping, it leads to improved um, breathing in a matter of days. So you're moving away from cigarette smoking to vapes. Um, yet, the, as I said before, these uh, products contain um, chemicals. And of course, the standard kind of statements that we heard in the 70s and 80s around cigarettes, where they, they provide infinite, uh, infinite pleasure. So yes, and I could go on, um, but they they use a number of uh, claims. Well, and that kind of you know they're they're sexy, they're sleek, they're smooth, they provide yeah. in, infinite pleasure. That's your, your basic marketing, isn't it? That that's something that you might see on ads for just about anything. What kind of a public health problem do you think this is? This kind of particular kind of marketing environment. Um. I think that it, it seems to me to be very unregulated and not um, there's not good monitoring and it needs to be really reined in. The tobacco industry um, is looking for new markets because they want to secure business and profit. And so ultimately they want new customers and the perfect customer is someone who's younger because then you've got them for a lifetime. So there definitely needs to be uh, immediate action around um, the information and how these products are promoted online. Professor Jancy, thanks so much for sharing the results of your work with us today. Pleasure, Hilary. Thank you. Professor John Ann Jancy is part of a team of public health researchers at Curtin University. Their new study is just out. So that's how vapes are being marketed. What kind of options exist around regulation and how do we judge what is needed? Associate Professor Michelle Jonganellis is a Senior Research Fellow for Behaviour Change in the School of Psychology at Melbourne University. Michelle, great to have you with us. Hi, thanks for having me, Hilary. Are you surprised by some of the claims being made by these websites about the health, uh, in quotes, benefits of vaping? Oh, gosh, I wish I was surprised, but I'm not. This is straight from the tobacco industry playbook from the 60s and 70s, where, you know, seeing them as resurgent as ever, uh, as Janine just pointed out, they really do need to addict a new generation to nicotine because the older generations are dying. The smokers are dying and they need to maintain their profits. They need to meet their obligations to shareholders. And so it makes total sense to me that they are throwing everything they can and all their billions of resources uh, to make these claims about their products. Now, the the study that uh, Janine was telling us about said, and I'm quoting, that there were outlandish and unsubstantiated claims about the health and, and the potential for helping you stop smoking. How how worried should we be about that claim that it helps you stop smoking? Because there, there are quite a lot of health experts, I understand, who are keen to further explore whether it could help it get people off cigarettes. 
Absolutely. I mean, and I think the problem here is when it comes to how equivocal they are being with their claims. So while there is certainly some evidence to suggest that these products can help people quit smoking, you know, when we talk about public health, we're, we're still very cautious. We like to wait. We want to make sure that, you know, we've got a little bit more evidence before we start making those claims. Unfortunately, as soon as a claim, you know, is made or there is one little piece of evidence in the literature, the, you know, the marketing, the industry really takes advantage of that and then they start making more equivocal um, or unequivocal claims rather about it. So they'll use words like this is proven to be safer. Now as public health experts we know that you never say that. Uh, so that's the problem with the claims is that they make it very unequivocal so that they you know consumers have the impression that this is something that's you know that's safe and that can help you quit smoking when we know the evidence just isn't there yet what about whether or not you can tell something's got nicotine in it if it says it doesn't have nicotine in it can you trust that Absolutely not. So that's sort of the one message I'd like to get out is if you are consuming a product that says it doesn't have nicotine, chances are it does have nicotine. We know from the research that about 60 to 70% of the products that are out there that say they do not contain nicotine actually do. So, you know, we really need to be careful here. People actually don't know what they're consuming, uh, especially, you know, as a lot of the product that's imported. This is imported from developed countries. You know, these products are being made in very un safe conditions so certainly we need to be we need to be careful with with what we're consuming here what is the relative amount of, of nicotine in in an e-cigarette compared to a, a tobacco cigarette too do people understand you know how much they're consuming uh, well, you know, some of the anecdotally, what we hear from from some smokers is that because you know the label tells them this contains four milligrams or it contains six milligrams, that they have greater control of the content. Unfortunately, what the, the you know the mistake that they're making is that they're believing the label. And we know from the lab tests, we know from uh, the TGA testing that actually what is said on the label is not what is in the actual product. We're speaking with uh, Associate Professor Michelle Jonganellis, who's a Senior Research Fellow for Behaviour Change in the School of Psychology at Melbourne University and who's been looking into vaping and e-cigarettes and the, the marketing and regulatory environment that they exist in in Australia, uh, especially compared to some other places. We'll look at that in a moment. But I'd be interested to hear your thoughts too. Here's a selection of the ones that have come through so far. It's not just the human cost of vaping. I see hundreds of discarded batteries lying around in old vapes, says one person. Sally writes, it's weird. Kids seem to have bought into the age-old rebellious teen smoker myth. As well, she says, I'm so often on a bus or train and vainglorious seems to these young users to not be included in the no smoking regulations. It's so prevalent. Arthur, who says he's an anti-tobacco advocate, says it's a tobacco rerun with the same players. It's worse this time because social marketing allows better targeting of kids. The government should try to stop it with media and then target the corporate executives who always stay low profile. I wonder what your thoughts are if if you have used vaping in the past or do so now. Do you see that we could tweak the regulatory environment to make sure that vulnerable people are kept safer or are you happy with the way it is? Michelle, do we know what the vaping rates are among the Australian population generally and also I guess in those vulnerable populations? 
Yeah, unfortunately, when it comes to our monitoring, it, it, it's it's not great compared to other countries. So there are other countries who monitor more frequently, are, are collecting data yearly. Unfortunately, the latest data that we have is from a 20, 2019, the National Drug Strategy Household Survey. So, you know, back we, we, we're expecting rates to increase quite a bit. Um, when we get the data in either this year or next year from the most recent survey. And that's because in the last few years, we've had the disposable e-cigarettes emerge. So back in 2019, when the uh, National Drug Strategy Survey was conducted, we didn't really have the disposable cigarette e-cigarettes. Now that they've come out, we're expecting use to have increased quite quite a bit. Well, and the accessibility is interesting, isn't it? Johnine pointed out that Australian cum- consumers can buy vape products online, but also in conv- convenience stores and tobacco and vape Mm. shops, even though that's technically against the rules to buy nicotine-containing vapes in those places. How do we get to this situation where basically the black market is operating in plain sight? Well, enforcement is really tricky. There are a couple of states, Victoria being one of them, where there isn't actually a positive licensing scheme in place. So if anyone wants to sell cigarettes, tobacco cigarettes, e-cigarettes, they can. And there's no licensing system that's monitoring exactly who is doing it. So the authorities have actually, you know, very little control over what's happening, certainly in those states. The other complicating factor, which um, Janine alluded to, is the difference between non-nicotine and nicotine. So because nicotine e-liquids are illegal, but non-nicotine e-liquids are not, we actually don't know whether they're selling an illegal product until we take it back to the lab. And that is just, you know, too much. It's too onerous for our enforcement to have to, you know, collect all of these products, take them back to the lab, test it. And then by the time they find out actually this does contain nicotine, they go back to the store, they've gotten rid of all their illegal Uh, product and there's nothing, there's no means by which we can then prosecute. So, what we're arguing for is that both non-nicotine and nicotine e-liquids be prohibited outside of the prescription model that exists in Australia and then we don't have to worry about, you know, having to take it back to the lab and test it because regardless, it should be, you know, basically prohibited. So if we do that, if we ban all imports of vapes with or without nicotine, without a prescription, would that cause problems for people who are already addicted? Could it ramp up anxiety and other issues? I mean, not necessarily. I think now what we've got is an opportune time to be able to intervene here before it gets too problematic. So if people are wanting to use uh, e-cigarettes to quit smoking, they can certainly, you know, head to their GP. And if people are currently vaping and they're addicted to vaping, then we also encourage them to, to chat to their GP about ways of, you know, successfully and safely weaning off those products. So I think that's sort of gotten lost in the narrative here that, you know, if you're if you're using these products to quit smoking, then you can go to your GP. And if you find you have a problem with these products, then you can also go to your GP. You can call the quit line. So we do know that the quit line is already taking calls from people who are addicted to vaping and e-cigarettes and are, you know, really concerned and, and want some advice to, you know, be able to wean themselves off that. So there are some supports available out there. Interesting text just popped in from Doug. All the do-gooders out there enjoying their gin or red wine ought to allow others their drug of choice. I've smoked for over 60 years recently, switching to vaping, uh, recently switching to vaping, have felt so much better since. Our text number 0418 Associate Professor Michelle Jonganellis is our guest, Senior Research Fellow for Behaviour Change in the School of Psychology at Melbourne University. Let's look at the New Zealand example, Michelle. Uh, they have a, a quite a different regular 
regulatory environment, much more moderate approach. What can we learn from their experience? Well, interestingly, New Zealand has found themselves in this position, I believe, because they lost a court case against industry to restrict these products. What we know is happening in New Zealand is that there's been a surge in youth use because of their more liberal uh, environment around e-cigarettes. So, you know, they've got youth use up to 15% now because of the widespread availability of these nicotine products. So, you know, you will hear pro-vaping advocates argue that we should be adopting the New Zealand model and we should be adopting the UK model. But what they're failing to get across in that is this is the you know increase in youth use that these countries are now battling. Particularly, you know, New Zealand is now having to you know attempt to close the gate well and truly after the horse has bolted. So they've started adopting, you know, putting in some strategies to to minimise use. So you know, flavourings redu- reduction in the number of flavourings that are available. But you know, it, you know, some would argue that it actually it's too it, it could be too late. And what we should be doing in Australia. Australia is actually not following that uh, and having to sort of play catch up. We can we can actually deal with this issue right now with really great policy. Pro-vaping groups, though, say that the drop in smoking rates in New Zealand since vaping was you know made more accessible is proof that vaping can be a positive for public health. What's your view? Oh, well, there's that word again, proof, uh, which they, lay, they love to use. They love to throw around. Um, you know, what they're talking about, what they're looking at is correlation and causation. And we certainly cannot categorically say that the reason that those um, that smoking rates have decreased is because of vaping. Uh you know, there are other policies that are in place at the same time. Certainly, New Zealand launched its smoke-free policies. They had a number of reforms that came that that are coming out. You, you know, we we. I, I hazard to use the word proof to say that that this is why this stuff is happening. Michelle, what would you advise parents to do if they find out that their child or a young person in their circle is vaping? Is there information they can point that young person to? Yeah, so there are some great resources uh, that have been produced by the Lung Foundation, uh, New South Wales Health, uh, the Quit, Quit Victoria. Uh, they've got some great resources for parents, for educators and for children. So I'd really encourage parents to head out and check those resources. You know, we know that the sort of the general approach is to get angry or, you know, to become punitive and to punish those children, but actually, you know, that doesn't help. So those resources provide some, some excellent guidance on what to do having a conversation with your child, finding out, you know, why it is that they're using these products. You know, we know from some research that kids are using these products as a sort of emotional regulation uh, tool. So, again, if, if your child is using these products to make them help them relax or to reduce their anxiety, there's something bigger going on that needs addressing. So, like I said, Lung Foundation, Quit Victoria, New South Wales Health all have some great resources out there. I hope they're on TikTok too, the Lung Foundation, because it sounds like that's where <laughs> the young people are finding the vapes. It's been a fascinating look at how this is all working. Michelle, thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me, Hilary. Pleasure. Associate Professor Michelle Jonganellis, Senior Research Fellow for Behaviour Change in the School of Psychology at Melbourne University. You heard earlier from Professor Johnine Jancy from the team of public health researchers at Curtin Uni who've just put out this research on how vapes are being sold to us. Those resources that Michelle pointed to, if you've got a young person you'd like to help educate, New South Wales Health, Quit Victoria and the Lung Foundation all have information on e-cigarettes. And the texts are 
really interesting today. My friend who's 23 who vapes is trying to quit. It's proved really difficult. It's so much easier to vape everywhere, including her bedroom, at work and in public bathrooms. We've set up no vape zones in her house to try and make barriers to sneaking a vape. Another says vaping's only popular at all because it's highly addictive. It has nicotine. The fact they're misleading us about what the vape contains tells us they know it's not healthy. Because it's related to the tobacco industry of the past that's still legal, they've snuck in. How can we even countenance legalising an addictive product that's bad for our health? It's unconscionable. So that's one end of the spectrum of how we should deal with addictive substances. Spiro says, ex-pack-a-day smoker, now been vaping for five years. My experience is that vaping is a much healthier alternative. I've been mixing my own nicotine for years, but I've recently tried the disposable devices and I'm astonished as to how much nicotine is contained in them. Lovely to hear your thoughts on this, as always, when we talk about big issues on Life Matters. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.